Not too bad, thank you. Excellent. That's everything. That's a good start. Considering everything. <laughs> yeah, very, not too bad. Not very too good bad. start. Well, thanks very much for doing the Oscars thingy the other day. Um, My you, pleasure. You were yeah, that pre- was, uh, pretty much right, weren't you? I think you were kind of on the money. I like to think so, yes. <laughs> yes, I know you do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but yes, there were a couple of big surprises. Uh, it's interesting to see how uh, people have sort of unpacked uh, the way that the ceremony ended. But they know, always do, every, the fact. every year for different reasons, mm. isn't it? It's like everybody gets their microscope out. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the big the big change was that they shifted the Best Actor award to the end with the anticipation of Chadwick Boseman winning, and then he didn't. And not only did Anthony Hopkins win, but Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there yeah. to give a an acceptance speech at the end. Because he's 84 and it was like four in the morning back in Wales, wherever he was, but he was quick to jump on on the internet first thing in the morning and give a speech and mm. to acknowledge uh, Chadwick Boseman and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, as I said before, by and large, I thought a pretty good lineup of winners. And I thought, you know, under, in the circumstances, they did a really good job with the ceremony, quite frankly. Um, some people probably thought it was better because without all the razzmatazz, a bit more artistic mm. vibe to it. I mean, do you go with that? It, it baffles me every year that they complain about how long it runs and yet they insist on putting all of these sort of musical numbers and montage sequences, <laughs> you know, you know, all of these kind of sort of variety performance elements to it. And I get, I get it that they want uh, to attract viewers. And mm. I understand that TV viewership was like at a record low this year, but really? that's understandable. I mean, it, it was never going to be a big sort of gala spectacle. But I don't really feel that that's what people tune in for. I don't think they tune in to see sort of Hugh Jackman tap dancing or anything like that. I think they just want to see their favourite actors and, and uh, whatever win. And, you're, you know, and you get that by just getting on with it. Uh, you know, the other big the big change this year was that they let the speeches run on as long as they want. Um, I don't think that was necessarily a good idea either. Did I anybody really people... kick the bottom out of it in terms of speeches? There were a few that just kind of rambled on because they were given as much time as they wanted. So some people just didn't know when to shut up. And I, I, I always felt that, you know, 45 seconds or whatever it is they were given wasn't enough because for some of the, like, trade awards they're way in the craft awards so they're way in the back and it probably takes the most of that time just to get to the stage yeah and they've got no time to say anything so give them a couple of minutes sure but i think a cutoff is still important just to wrap things up tidily and move on you've got mm. to keep things moving forward fair enough fair enough what about you yeah, so those are you personally sorry you personally what about me personally? Well, do you like all the razzmatazz and the band cutting people off and all the... No, I want them to get on with it. <laughs> yeah, right. I want them to get on with it, you know. I mean, the fact that the band cuts people off is frustrating, but it's also it's thing, kind of though. amusing at the same time. Yeah. It's yeah. a thing, yeah. you know. Get on with it, because no one cares. Yeah, exactly. As Ricky Gervais would always say at the Golden Globes, <laughs> he's just like, nobody cares except you. Um, and I don't, I don't quite agree with that. You know, I think they're allowed, they should be allowed to have their moment. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, it's like we do have a show to put on. Indeed. So maybe two minutes, give them two minutes, and then just get on with it. Right, fair play. But um, but yeah, no, I'm very happy with the winners. All told, it was a, it's a it was a good bunch, good crop of talent. And um, I was asking you about the music. Did you like the music winners? Yes, <clears throat> I'm a big. I was rooting for John Baptiste in particular. Yeah. Uh, 
because I'm a big fan of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and he's the band leader on that. So I'm used to seeing him on a regular basis do his thing anyway. Mm. And, um, you know, I like, I like for the most part the, the work that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have been doing uh, in movies ever since uh, Social Network, like a decade ago now. And, um, yeah, so that was a great score. I still don't really know the song that won. I still think Eurovision, the song from Eurovision, you should like have won that. You liked that, didn't you? <laughs> but, it was great. That was one of those movies that really shouldn't have been any was, good. Was it better than actual Eurovision really songs? Because... I think... Yeah, no, it was... Um, I, I, the one thing I liked about that film so much is how spot-on they got all the Eurovision songs. They really understood sort of the strengths and weaknesses of the competition and why people like it mm. and how it's sort of kitsch and earnest and, uh, you know, people sort of watch it to laugh at it but can't help but getting swept, be swept up oh, with it. it all at the same time. It's, it's quite a unique experience and I thought they, considering it was made mostly by, <clears throat> mostly by Americans, I thought that they, uh, they kind of nailed it. Americans. Actually. Steve on our Facebook page says, bring back Billy Crystal to host next year. He's a he was great. Favourite. He was great. Yeah, I mean, they, there has now been a couple of years since they've had a host, and I'm not sure that how ma- that works. That I like... I like <laughs> well, yeah, but I kind of, at the same time, I like there being a kind of MC. You know, I like someone there just to sort of keep things moving and to uh, um, it does, it sum does. things up every now and again. Was he your favourite? Billy Crystal was great. And certainly when I was first getting into films and watching the Oscars regularly, mm. he was the guy that was always presenting it. I quite like what Jimmy Kimmel's been doing the last few years. Okay. You know, he hosted it, what, in sort of 2016 and 2017. And I thought he did, he, he, he sort of held things together pretty well. Uh, I'd love to see Stephen Colbert do it, actually. Fair enough. Talking of him. Yeah. All right, then. But I think, but apparently uh, he is contractually uh, not allowed to do it because he's signed with another network. And <laughs> that ain't happening. Yeah. I, I think so. I think he actually brought it up on his show the other day. Uh, I think it's because he's with CBS and the Oscars are on ABC or something like that. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get stuck into it. What have you got for us? Okay, I thought we'd do a, sort of a clutch of film releases and then a couple of things on TV. Um, so film releases coming up, we've got Chaos Walking with Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. We've got mm-hmm. Supernova with Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. But I thought we'd start with Cliff Walkers, which is the new big um, Zhang Mao movie. So okay. he's one of the biggest mainland filmmakers out there. He did uh, Raise the Red Lantern, Hero, House of Flying Daggers, Shadow more recently. He did that, that movie The Great Wall with Matt Damon. Which you hate Fighting Monsters. No, I didn't, and I actually got a lot of uh, shtick for not hating it Why, because everybody, more, please, everybody just piled on it sort of on principle, yeah. and I, I was the one who actually went to see it, and I was like, it was fine, it was quite it, fun, see, it was stupid. Do you think the thing here is that people bring in all their various political layers and this, that, and the other? But if you look at it as a piece of art and a technical exercise, that's probably where you are. I mean, like technically and artistically, bang on. Well, I think, you know, you, you've got to look at it like that. You've got to look at it as entertainment as well. Um, I think people do certain, obviously come to the table with their prejudices and with their own baggage. And, you know, I, me too, everybody does. But it's my job to leave as much of that, you yes. know, to know the context, but to leave the baggage at the door Without and give everybody a fair shout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've got to, you've got to go in <laughs> giving every film the opportunity 
to be successful. All right, then. You know, you've got what to go in one? with a clear mind. Are we going to give this the opportunity to be successful? Well, yeah, because, I, I mean, generally, I quite like his films. Cliff you know, they Walkers, are definitely... The Plumber from Coronation Street. I get that out of Cliff way. Walkers. Thank you. Uh, hey, oh, hey, oh, so this Thank is set you. in um, 1930s Japanese-occupied Manchuria. Right. Uh, you, so immediately, if you know your mainland Chinese film, any, any film where, you, where you've got Japanese characters in it should be an immediate red flag. You're like, hang on, this is not going to be subtle. Um, but what this does is it follows a, uh, a team of four Soviet-trained Chinese sort of secret agents mm -hmm. who, are par who parachute down into Japanese-occupied Ma Manchuria, and their mission is to rescue and sort of extract a witness to all the Japanese atrocities that have been going on. You know, there are all of these rumours and stories of uh, humanitarian, uh, humanitarian disaster, you know, human rights violations, mass genocide and all the rest of it. And one guy has managed to escape from a, a, um, a sort of POW camp or something. And so their job is to go in, get him and yep. bring him out. However, no, no sooner have they parachuted in than two of their uh, four t team get compromised and they realise that somewhere... There is a mole amongst their ranks. And so the two that remain have to sort of hightail it across the country to try and complete their mission, knowing full well that their every move is being monitored by the, uh, the collaborating Chinese forces who are collaborating with the Japanese and, uh, <clears throat> and anyone that they thought they could trust yep. might in fact be a bad guy. Okay. Um, as one knows from a Zhang Yimou movie, it's going to look great, and it really does. I mean, this thing borrows from everything from... Um, so it's, it's, it's got a bit of Where Eagles Dare in there. There's a bit of uh, The Age of Shadows, the recent Korean film set at a similar time. Mm. Uh, it feels very sort of Jean le Carre, very Melville. It's very cloak and dagger. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of those sort of old sort of Cold War and wartime spy thrillers. Anyway, everybody is walking around in a trench coat and a fedora with his collar As up. As they are on the poster. That's immediately <clears throat> noticeable. Right. It and the entire film is like shot through a blizzard you know it's perpetually snowing and so that adds to the sort of the confusion and the disorientation not only of the characters but also of the audience right you've got it's interspersed with fantastic action sequences Yang Mao is also well known for his action you've got car chases shootouts uh, a, a wonderful sort of standoff on a train and uh, you know just a sort of a never-ending parade of captures and tortures and interrogation sequences and all the rest of it now the problem with all of that is that it, as there are so many sort of double crosses triple crosses quadruple crosses all the rest of it you struggle as much as the characters on screen screen struggle mm. to remember who everybody is and whose side everybody is on uh, you know everybody is sort of pretending to be somebody else and in the end it gets incredibly confusing yeah. and I think in his efforts to tell a, a complex, intriguing story of you know, es espionage and deceit, he actually ends up sort of muddying the waters with, with just too much confusion and you get a bit lost. And I don't think it's my fault as the, as the viewer that I'm getting lost so much as I think it's the film itself failing to bring clarity to this uh, this admittedly complex story, so in the end, what you get is something that looks great, and you know it's very stylish, it's very exciting, mm. and if you big. don't really it's very big, if you, right? 
It is. It's very big. It's very grand. It's obviously very expensive. You know, lavish attention to detail. It's all set in uh, this very this fascinating sort of part of the world where there's uh, you know obviously this this um, sort of invading Japanese influence into a, an area of China that is also has a very strong sort of Russian influence that's uh, evident there. Um, you've got this sort of very interesting, intriguing. Um, sort of main performance from uh, a young actress whose name where is her name Your okay case. her name is not in front of me for some reason <laughs> but the the sort of the, the new his his new sort of ingenue if you like uh, Zhang Yimao you know has part of his career has been sort of building up the careers of sort of these young uh, Chinese actresses. She he launched the career of uh, Gong Li. He also then launched the career of uh, Zhang Ziyi. And here uh, you've got this new actress called uh, Liu Hao Kun, who was the star of his previous film One Second, which is still yet to be released uh, pretty much anywhere because it fell foul of, of the censors mm. for reasons I'm not even entirely sure about because no one's seen it. Um, and here she plays sort of the most unlikely member of this team. You know, she's very sort of small, doe-eyed, uh, you know, sort of squeaky-voiced, and you're like, what is she doing here? But then it turns out that she's actually sort of the most resilient member of the team. Right. And she can <clears throat> really pull her weight. You know, she, she can kill people twice her size. She throws herself from a moving train, and she's actually a bit sort of tasty in a scrap. <laughs> and she's a pretty, pretty sort of accomplished spy as well. And... You know, it, it just follows a tradition of heroines in his films who sort of manage to use their, uh, their, their beauty and their good looks to uh, sort of protect themselves, if you like, from sort of hidden strengths that they might have. Yeah. So it's very much uh, sort of on brand for Zhang Yimao. Both, you know, every sort of element seems to be in place. The, the only problem is that it just gets um, much like the aesthetic in place, you know, where it, you're constantly... It, you're constantly trying to see through the darkness and through the snow as to who it, who you're looking at, who's shooting at you, who you're shooting at, because everybody is hiding their identity and is obscured by uh, circumstances or by you know just the surroundings. Uh, it ends up just being pretty difficult. It to, does uh, snow to there follow. a lot, though. I mean, I'm not being stupid. It, I know what no, they're doing. It's yeah, yeah. So yeah, it looks great, sounds great. Uh, but at the end of the day, it can't get his story straight. Fair enough. Listen, before you go on to the next one, we've got about three minutes mm -hmm. before the news. Now, yesterday, I was talking with Gary Stokes from Oceans Asia, who was one of the people featured in Seaspiracy, as you probably know. I got a message here from Greg on our Facebook page, right? And he says, following your interview with one of the marine experts yesterday, I watched Seaspiracy and was left feeling utterly despondent. I'm curious to know if Marshy's seen it and what he thinks. There you go. I haven't, I'm afraid. Sorry. Oh, I right. haven't seen Seaspiracy. That's on. It's on Netflix, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I think I've seen it listed. Are you one of these people that I, I, takes a bit of persuading to watch certain kinds of documentary? I, I certainly am. Uh, it's not that I take persuading. It's just I've, I'm too busy. Uh, you know, I'm, I've got to watch every film that comes out and then keep, keep up with some of the TV Double as busy. well. And so, yeah. and so, and so, unless it's a, a documentary that's really in the conversation, this is. Then I often just. I mean. It, it seems to be sorry if you want if you want me to watch it i w i do do requests so <laughs> very good i preferred your earlier work <laughs> yeah I yeah mean, 
give it a crack. I, I watched it. I didn't mean to. But it's one of those things that, as Greg says, you're left thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, he, despondent is the word he used. And I think it's a very good choice of word, actually. Yeah. Have you seen any documentary? So this is a, it's a documentary film. Yeah. OK, here we go. Yeah, 89 minutes. Netflix. Yeah, OK. It's, it's so heavy I, duty, yeah, that's where James. I've seen this, it is, this is powerful. I couldn't remember whether you talked about it with me or not. It's powerful stuff. No. And it's sort of almost... A filmmaker... Go on. It says a filmmaker sets out to document the harm that humans do to marine species and uncovers alarming global it, it corruption. It does. It's one of those ones like The Cove, I think it was called, where the bloke sort of started off oh. in, in one direction and then he finds this and he's like, my goodness, I better get deeper. And then he finds this. And, and by the end of the film, it's a different animal altogether. But I tell you, Greg's, yeah. Greg's, Greg's quite right. Anyway, give that a crack. Uh, we've got about a minute now before the news, James. So why don't you just right. tell us what we're going to get All right, into. Greg. <laughs> well, that that one, I'll, I'll do my utmost to watch that for next week. Yeah. Just for you, Greg. All right, then. Um, so, yeah, so after the news, then um, I wanted to, I want to talk about uh, Chaos Walking quickly and Supernova, two films that are out this week. Mm. Also, I thought I'd do a bit of TV because I have seen a couple of interesting TV series. Um, I've seen Them, which is a an American horror series on Amazon. Right. And also I have now watched all of The Falcon and The Winter Soldier which obviously is the latest uh, Marvel TV show on Disney+. Right, well, you Plus. sit tight. You go and I'm going to put up your screensaver. You go and have a coffee, and we'll be back in just a little while. Let's us get to the weather and, of course, the news. So, James, what do you want to do now? Join us on Facebook Live if you want to join in any comments whatsoever, but hopefully about movies. Yours. OK, so very quickly, I just want to touch on Chaos Walking, which is this very long gestating adaptation of Patrick Ness's sort of YA sci-fi dystopian uh, series of novels. And this is mainly an adaptation of the first one. Uh, this was originally uh, in production in about 2017 and starring Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland, who we know from Star Wars and Spider-Man, respectively. Uh, it tested very badly, and so they went back to do reshoots, but because of the, the stars' schedules, they couldn't do the reshoots until, like, two years later. So it sat on a shelf for two years. Then they had to bring in another director. It was originally directed by Doug Lyman. They had to bring in another guy called Fede Alvarez to do the reshoots. Uh, you got Patrick Ness, who's the author of the novels, do, re rewriting his own sort of screenplay. And uh, what comes out at the end is this very sort of cobbled together, slightly incoherent, very poorly uh, sort of... Uh, Po yeah, poorly realised uh, adaptation of, of In incoherent, poorly, and then you can't think of a word to say. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, no, that was that was in my mind as well. I was like, I'm trying to describe exactly what is happening to me right now. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, so it's this sort of very sort of inarticulate adaptation of uh, apparently very good series of YA novels. Oh, um, yeah. Essentially, the setup is. Uh, that the human race is on a, a planet, a new planet called New World, uh, and there has been a, an attack by the uh, alien forces there. There was a big war that wiped out all of the women uh, and has, has now killed, out, killed most of the aliens as well. So you've got a society where only men exist. But because of some viral outbreak, mm -hmm. uh, all the creatures that live on this planet, whether they're humans or whether they're animals or whatever can hear each other's thoughts. It's something called the 
called noise and essentially no one ha- no one has sort of an internal monologue it is all out there in the open and then until a young woman played by daisy ridley here crash lands on the planet and she doesn't have a noise uh, and she is uh, deemed an immediate threat to the community and as young todd here played by tom holland uh in his efforts to help this young w- woman sort of escape danger and and find out how she can get back to civil- her civilization he uncovers that not everything that he has been told about his home planet and the the history of what has happened to them is da, da, true da, da, da. yep essentially i mean this this is basically based on the premise that uh, men don't understand what women are thinking. Well, that's... <laughs> you know, move, move, moving. It's, it's essentially... Yeah, the premise is uh, men are very simple to understand, <laughs> and this is personified in the fact that you can literally hear their thoughts the whole time. But women are just a closed book. They're a complete mystery to everybody. And h- here on screen, you, you cannot hear what they're saying. The, the noise itself sort of is, is like this weird sort of purple CGI mist okay. that kind of sort of enshrouds the characters' heads with sort of versions of themselves just constantly talking and talking nonsense. But it's not even a very sort of accurate... Uh, articulation of what one's inner monologue might be. It's all rather inane and only seems to appear when the plot demands it to and at other times... Isn't that good, uh, though? You know, it doesn't. So w- what you get is just this very sort of disjointed, underdeveloped, underwritten story where there's there are clearly kernels of an interesting, albeit slightly adolescent, idea in there. Yeah. Um but it's uh, but it just doesn't come through in the final project. I mean, clearly this was a project that attracted some real talent. Like I said, you got Daisy Ridley, Tom Holland, you got Mads Mikkelsen, Damian Bachir, David Oyelowo, Cynthia Arrivo. Uh, you know the cast is great, and they've got nothing to do except sort of run around in the forest, uh, making sort of inane proclamations about how all women are evil. And you know, pretty soon you you understand that you know it's all a facade for something equally ridiculous it's a complete disaster um if you've read the books i'd be very interested to know what you think of them and why they are good and how they succeed because the film fails miserably and that's all i have to say about it oh good enough yeah i thought yeah that's i love it when you do that this must be a really really bad film for you to do fails miserably what's next right supernova uh has the misfortune of coming out in the same year as The Father, the, the now Oscar-winning movie starring oh, um, Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Yep, yep, yep. Supernova is the story of, uh, you know, a, a, an ageing, uh, middle-aged uh, gay couple in the UK uh, who go on a sort of uh, on a camping trip together in sort of a, a newly... Hi- no, in, a, in their old motorhome. So you've got Colin Firth as um, Sam, who is a sort of concert pianist, classical pianist, but he he hasn't played in a while. And Tusker, who is an American, but you know an Anglophile, has moved to the UK for a long time, and he is a once successful novelist. Again, hasn't really done anything for a long time, and he is slowly suffering, you know, sort of slowly succumbing to dementia. Right. So they go on this sort of road trip, and in the effort that he, you know, just to spend some quality time together, and uh, Tusker is supposed to be finishing a new book. And within about five minutes, you're like, oh, okay, I know exactly where this movie is going, which is only cemented, like I said, five minutes in when Tusker reveals to Sam that he didn't bring his pills with him. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. So you didn't like this one? There's either, only one, did you? one reason. Really? No, not really. <laughs> 
So, I mean, what you've got here is you've got a very uh, sort of safe gay couple, if you like. You know, right. they're both very uh, middle-aged. They're both sort of have an artistic bent, if you like. And they've been happily sort of cohabitating for many, many, many years. And they're surrounded by very friendly, nice family members and friends who, who love them both dearly. Uh, Tusker obviously is um, struggling with the knowledge that he is about to lose his mind, yes. quite literally, uh, lose his sense of identity, and certainly uh, lose all of the you know the love and strong feelings that he has for Sam. Sam obviously is the one also wrestling with the fact that he has to now sit and watch mm. the love of his life deteriorate in front of him, well, the, and it this, should come as no is surprise. This a universal story. I mean, very very sad, but this is something that a lot of people. Have gone <laughs> it's through. incredibly yeah. sad, and, and this is. But what you're saying is part is basically what the problem is. It's like you've we've seen this story so many times. And there is nothing exceptional about this inter this version of it. Well, um, you mentioned Anthony Hopkins before. It's an obvious comparison simply because of the subject yeah. matter. Did you think that yeah. about him? I mean, so many people have had parents and grandparents who've gone through this and they don't recognise them one day and it's heartbreaking, etc., etc. So it's a universal problem. It, it is. It is. Um, and if you're so therefore, if you're going to make a movie about it, you need to bring something new to the table. Otherwise... Otherwise, you're just telling me stuff it's I a know. Movie. Already. I understand. Yeah, it's not a doco. It's a movie. Um, now, this was why, as you may remember, I said I was trepidatious before watching The Father because I was like, "Oh, here we go, another uh, one of these." Yeah. Uh, but that did surprise and impress through the way that it told its story in incredibly innovative fashion. Uh, it had some fascinating uh, sort of observations to make about people going through this here. The, the, there's nothing wrong with the performances. I mean, Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are obviously both great actors. You know, they make a very convincing couple and they go through the motions of these tough decisions uh, very convincingly. But at the same time, the film never surprises. It never does anything unexpected. Uh, and it reaches the conclusion that, like, like I said, five minutes into the movie, you know exactly where it's well, going. And the fact that it... it not only goes where you know it's going, but it does so in such a sort of conventional and I tell you what, unimaginative way. I'll tell you just, I'll you tell end you up just going, yeah, hang go on. on. So you end up just going, <laughs> yeah, that was fine. But it's just fine. Okay, well, I was going to say, hopefully one day there would be an alternative ending to that movie. Obviously, this is one of the top three or four things that the medical world is trying to fix or get a grip on so hopefully one day mm -hmm. anyway you know what i'm saying uh, give a good afternoon he's broke back mountain but with older gentlemen question mark on our facebook page what'd you say i, I don't know gabby um <laughs> he doesn't know it's, it's it's no broke back mountain that's for sure broke back mountain's brilliant this is not all right He's in the literal mode. This is perfunctory. I this understood is you, Gabby. Perfunctory. Lawrence Literal there didn't. All right, then, so what's next? Okay, all right, so let's talk about a bit of TV. Uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is uh, one of at least three Marvel TV shows that have come in the wake of Endgame and the end of uh, Phase 3. Uh, so essentially what we have is, uh, this is in the aftermath of the death of Captain America, yep. and you have uh, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. The Falcon, played by Anthony Mackie, uh, teaming up with the Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Bucky Barnes, played by Sebastian Stan. Um, so coming to terms with a world post-snap, post... Um, what was it called? The blip, 
or whatever when everybody disappeared for five years and then came back and we find the world in a state of disarray following everybody coming back having disappeared for five years right and their places in society are no longer distinct you know people are re- people reappear to find that other people are living in their houses or have their jobs and so it's co- kind of caused this great sort of economic catastrophe around mm-hmm. the world and that uh, has not only just caused co- sort of general confusion but it has spurred on sort of a, a number of sort of terrorist organizations or whatever to fight for re-stabilizing the situation in confusing if if but violent ways um Meanwhile, you know, the Falcon is offered the shield by Captain America at the end of Endgame to become the new Captain America, but he doesn't He doesn't do it. He says, no, 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 uh, I'm happy just being the Falcon. Uh, that, that is a decision that comes to uh, haunt him, not least when the government says, well, we need somebody to, uh, to, be, to take on the mantle and be Captain America. The world needs a Captain America. Yes. And so the, a, decision is, a decision is made to recruit or to promote Captain America, which comes with all kinds of sort of questions and problems. And at the same time, you've got the Winter Soldier, who was this, you know, Manchurian candidate-style programmed Soviet killing machine, yep. who is now wrestling with all the grief of the at. Uh, that's so interesting. interesting that, 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 that sounds interesting. Yeah, it humanizes. Yeah, it does a sound interesting. And occasionally, the series addresses those things. Occasionally, it seems disinterested in addressing any of these things. Uh, occasionally, there are some spectacular action sequences, and you're like, "Wow, this is the, really the state of TV right now." You know, TV mm. is now is now no different to the biggest blockbusters. You know, it, there are now just well, these it, very huge, good point. Very huge. good point. What do you reckon? I mean. Yes, basically. Yeah. Well, this is these are these are the times that we live in, and there is no difference. Disney, in particular, is blurring the lines. They've just announced that their new Pixar movie, Luca, is not going to play in cinemas at all in the US. It will play here. Yeah. So well, paradigm um, time. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're making this shift to TV, and but it's not uh, at the. It's not uh, obviously as a financial cost cutting exercise. If anything, it's just to pull in subscribers to Disney Plus. So, I mean, there are some interesting elements to the show. You kind of know where it's going. I mean, before it even begins, you know that Sam Wilson, the Falcon, is going to become the new Captain America. Of course you do. I mean... This is just written in the stuff. So, (laughs) if if anything, this six-episode arc is just how he how he comes round after initially going, I don't want to do that. How and why he comes round to agreeing to do it they pull in some old characters they try and have some interesting discussions just about the economic state of the u.s the political state of the u.s race relations in the u.s or you know all of these kind of topics come into play yeah and it's it's intermittently successful it see it feels like they didn't want to go quite so far as to have give the falcon his own movie Ah, but uh, at the same time, are they setting they up for to him make... to have his own movie, or was that it? Yes, they have. In the wake of this, unsurprisingly, they have announced that uh, you know, Captain America Four, Captain America Four, is now going into production, and actually, the showrunner of this series, Malcolm Spellman, is going to be directing it. It'll be his first movie directing, and obviously, Anthony Mackie is now Captain America. Uh, so it's going exactly where we knew it would, was going. Yeah, and it was just like, well, they just didn't want to waste a film or dedicate a film to this. Uh, sequence of events. Fair enough. And so you got yeah. So it brings in a few new characters who you think are obviously going to reappear 
it pulls in a few old characters and sort of ties up a few loose ends but creates a few new ones and it's it's more it was more just like a fascinating exercise that you think you know Disney must have had all of this, and Marvel must have had all of this in the works already, but it seems almost tailor-made for a year of COVID when the cinemas were closed, that they're like, we've got to keep the Marvel train running. Here's a show, here's a show, here's a show. It could, it conversely could have been a chance to really open out various layers of the Marvel characters that they perhaps wouldn't have had Mm -hmm. time to do. They can, like, really sort of flesh out things that were so far trivial. Yes, exactly, and I think it gives them the opportunity to, to sort of to run with these sort of smaller, lower level stories, you yeah. know, give give them the the airtime that a, that a movie would would have uh, it would have been disappointing and slightly dull had it been in a movie. Right. Um, so. It's also obviously it echoes the format of comic books because you have the ma- you always have the main run of the comic books and then you have these spin off you know little side stories and side series and 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 all the rest of it and so. It is kind of in keeping with with the brand, if you like, and with mm. the genre. So it's a fascinating exercise. I don't. I mean, these, none of these shows, as far as I understand, not One Division, not The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and not Loki, which is still to come, uh, are planning to do more than one season. I believe these were just like one-off, single single runs, just to, like I said, tie up these loose ends, paper over these cracks, and you know, do any other business before they all reconverge back in the. Uh, main phase four well we've got a few minutes together now my spidey senses tell me we've got time for one more film one well more, i don't one have more, one more film one more thing one more thing yeah yeah one more piece of content just yeah. to upset everybody yeah, i'm not allowed to call it anything, anything content <laughs> poor martin scorsese he'll have a fit um so on amazon there's a tv show that's been on it's been on for a couple of weeks now but it's, it's all there uh it's called them and it's very much sort of uh, in keeping with films like uh, Us, Get Out, TV uh-huh. shows like Watchmen or Lovecraft Country, <clears throat> where it's it's very it's tackling head on race relations in the U.S., uh, the dark history of the 20th century regarding African Americans, the fate of African Americans in American suburbia, uh, but through the lens of a straight up supernatural horror horror series. Hoo-ha. Yeah, so you've got this family, uh, the Emery family, who uh, in the first episode they move from, I, th- I want to say North Carolina, to uh, Los Angeles and to East Compton, which in the 1950s was a very affluent, upcoming white neighborhood. Right. They are escaping some very horrifying events that happened to them back east, and uh, they are hoping to start a new life. Uh, Mr. Emery has got a job. He's an engineer. You know, he's like the first first black engineer in the company, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They move into a new neighborhood. They're the first black family in this neighborhood. Unsurprisingly, the rest of the neighborhood are none too happy about it. Yep. They see this as not only just a horrifying thing to see on their doorstep, but uh, are terrified now that it's going to devalue their neighborhood. And, you know, first one black family comes in and then they're just going to bring another one and another one and another one. And what happens to East Compton is going to be what happened to West Compton, which we obviously know is exactly what did happen Mm. to that part of Los Angeles. Is it's now, as far as I understand, a completely black area and it's quite a rough one, too. Um, But it's it's just the, the sort of the white bread, white picket fences, sort of 1950s, all American neighborhoods. 
uh, versus this this poor family who are just trying to escape, uh, you know, the horrifying prejudice uh, of of the Jim Crow era, uh, sort of back in the sort of the southeast of the, of the country. Uh, and what it does is it is it does it through, like I said, through the lens of psychological horror. It really gets inside the heads of these characters and how this perpetual persecution and trauma and grief uh you know that's unrelenting and there, there's no escape regardless of where they turn just compounds and compounds and threatens their very sanity and i thought by and large it's done it's done actually really really well it's created by a guy called little marvin and it's kind of like his first project uh, <clears throat> and, and he does a great job the performances all around are pretty great you know uh from uh, including the, there's a couple of very strong sort of child performances as well. Uh, you know, it goes into some pretty broad territory. Some, or dare I say, almost sort of goofy and ridiculous at times. Mm. But then oh, snaps does, right what, back. I was going to say, what does that add to to the effect? I mean, comedy mixed with horror, goofy, if you call it that. That's a really powerful mixture, actually. It it is. I mean, rather than overtly comedic, what I would say is it is it. It's, it's kind of larger than life. It's kind of um, gregarious. It's almost carnivalesque in some of the the horrors that are faced. Just to kind of take the edge off and remember, you know, that it is an entertainment. It is a TV show. It has very serious points to make, and it wants to genuinely unnerve and scare you, and and obviously highlight all of these horrors. Mm. But at the same time it's not afraid to just go a little bit outre <laughs> every now and again. <laughs> just right. go a little bit over the top for the sake of uh, entertainment. And, and why not? Well, we're out of time. Just do a quick reminder, good, bad, indifferent, and, and what you talked about. Okay, so this is a TV show on Amazon right now called Them. And so it's worth checking out. If you like a lot of those shows that I've been talking about, this is uh, more of that and it's great. There's obviously The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. Out in cinemas this week, there is uh, Supernova, Chaos Walking, and the uh, mainland Chinese spy thriller, Cliff Walkers. Super duper. Well, I will talk to you next week. Thanks, as always, for your sterling know-how. as James Marsh, right here on The Morning Brew.